0: verse 1, where it says, "'You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh?' Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law, or by your believing what you have heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away.
1: Well, good morning to you. Uh, I'm not sure that I am the wiser brother. I mean, obviously, the more attractive one, but... Um... <laughs> and it's, uh, it is very good to be with you as uh, we finish our series or, uh, on these great truths that were rediscovered at the time of the Reformation. Uh, great gospel truths that had... Of course, been there in the Bible the whole time, but lain hidden uh, and undiscovered for some time. And I hope you've been encouraged uh, by what you've heard. This morning we have salvation by faith alone. And you may or may not be familiar with the concept, Uh, my guess is that many of you are. You're at least familiar with, uh, in a sense, if you like, the technicalities of it. It's not always so easy to get your head around, partly because I think the word faith itself is a difficult word to understand. What is faith? When the Bible talks about faith, what are we talking about? But I think the other reason uh, salvation by faith alone can be difficult is, and, and I'm stealing someone else's illustration here, that... Uh, The walk of Christian faith is very much like walking uh, down a road, or uh, originally given riding on a horse down a road, I guess because horses are difficult to control, or at least that's my experience anyway. Um, uh, Riding a horse down a road with two ditches on either side, and on one side we have the ditch which you might call legalism, that is the temptation that we face to try and prove ourselves to God, try and earn His favour... That is one danger for us as Christians. But on the other side, there is another ditch, which we could call the, 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 the ditch of lawlessness. That is, that because we see in the Bible this idea that we are saved by faith alone, we then conclude for ourselves that it doesn't matter then what we do. We can do whatever we want, because we're not saved by what we do, we're saved by faith alone. So there are these two ditches uh, that are on the side of this road, which we call the Christian walk, of legalism or lawlessness. And how are we to walk and find our way without falling in the ditch? So that's the question. What is this faith? And how how do we walk this road uh, of Christianity, of faith alone? Well, first of all, let me uh, start in Galatians 3. Uh, One of the great questions, of course, at the time of the Reformation was, is justification or salvation or righteousness, if you like, by faith alone, actually in the Bible? I mean, that was the question, it had been taught uh, differently for many years and so it's worth us and perhaps worth for you, because you aren't familiar with this, to just clarify that this is actually in the Bible... So, that's why we read Galatians 3. Now, you won't see the phrase salvation by faith alone there, you won't even see, in fact, the word justification there. Uh, What you see in verse 6 is, consider Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that word righteousness is kind of connected to the word justification and they mean they convey the idea of having your record, your, all your sins, the record of all you have done wrong against God, being torn up. Although, as Jasmine said, it's not as if it's torn up and thrown in the fire and forgotten about, it's torn up and Christ takes that record on Himself. Your record is gone and in fact, not only does He take our record on Himself and, get, and have it nailed to the cross as it says here uh, in uh, verse... Uh, 13, he becomes a curse for us, Uh, we get his record. So, our record is taken away, put on Christ, and his record, his record of all his goodness and his grace and his love and his kindness, is put into our account, or, or into our file, as it were. So, if you look up John Odenick, oh, you pull it out, wow, look at this guy, he's awesome. No, that's because it's Jesus' record that's in there. And how does that happen? That's the question... Does that happen because we keep some rules or because we have faith in Christ? And, and Paul had gone to the churches in Galatia, this region in Turkey, and he had preached to them the message of justification by faith alone. But some other teachers had come in and they had said, yes, it's by faith, but what you need to do is also keep a few of these laws from the Old Testament. You need to keep special feast days and you perhaps need to keep some food laws and, and you need to be circumcised... Yes, it's by faith, but you make sure you do these things. And so Paul, in chapter 3, is very upset. And he says to them, "'You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you?' And then in verse 2, he says, "'I would like to learn just one thing. "'Did you receive the Holy Spirit by observing the law "'or by what you heard?' He appeals to their experience. "'How is it that the Spirit came and worked amongst you?' And you see in verse 5 that it did." God gave you by his Spirit, uh, uh, sorry, to work miracles. So they'd seen some spectacular manifestations of the Spirit. And he says to them, did that happen because you followed some rules? Is that how that happened? We might ask a similar question. We, We might not have experienced the miracles that they have, but we might ask, did you grow to love Jesus? Did you grow to love his people? Did you want to share the Gospel? Did you want to grow in your understanding of the Bible? See, that's the work of the Spirit. Did, did that happen because you started obeying some rules, because you kept the law, or did it happen because you believed in Jesus? You might have noticed Paul doesn't even answer the question, he just poses it. It's such a ridiculous notion, isn't it, that you would get, that, that would happen because you kept the rules. So he appeals to their experience, but then he appeals to the Old Testament. Uh, Verse 6 again, consider Abraham, he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul goes back to the time before the law, in fact, before circumcision, and he says, look, Abraham was declared righteous, he was justified, he was right with God, not because he did anything because he followed the law or because he was circumcised, he just believed God, he believed what God said to him. That's faith. He goes on, in verse 11, uh, to quote another part of the Old Testament, clearly no one is justified by God, by the law, because, it says, the righteous will live by faith. It says that in Habakkuk, that is, after the law. So, before the law, righteousness was by faith. After the law, righteousness is still by faith, nothing has changed. So he appeals to their experience, he appeals to the Old Testament and said, look, this has always been the testimony of God, you've always been righteous, justified by faith alone. And then he continues to appeal to the Old Testament, but in a sense, this is the clincher, I think. Verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse for it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And what Paul is saying is this: If you say, "I'm going to keep for me to be right with God, I have to keep this set of rules," you immediately curse yourself because you have to continue—that is, continually, all the time—do everything that is written in the law. It is not good enough to just do a little bit some of the time. You have to do it. All of it, all the time, and nobody can. And you know that to be true, Uh, even if we were to just pick one of the great commandments, love your neighbour as yourself, and you were to think about how you'd go on this week, maybe even just this morning, getting the kids ready for church perhaps, That's certainly how it goes in my household. See, have you been hurtful? Have you been cruel or unkind? Have you lied or gossiped? And that's just the negative side. Have you loved your neighbour? Have you actually done them good? Have you sought their, uh, their good? Put aside your selfish desires, your preferences, to do what is right and helpful for them. You see, that's just... One command, we can't do it and if you dedicate yourself, if you say, oh well, yes, it's by faith but I'll just have to do that, as soon as you do that, you have to do it all and in fact, the law was there to show them that they could never do it And the the sacrifices were there to, to remind them that, yes, they couldn't do it, but God had a solution. God offered forgiveness. God offered grace. God offered mercy. And Paul is here showing that, of course, that is through Christ and His sacrifice. And so, is justification, salvation, righteousness by faith alone in the Bible? Yes, absolutely it is. And we could go to lots of other passages, but here it is. You can only be saved... By Christ, by realising your need, by realising your inability to live up to God's standard and throwing yourself on Christ and saying, save me, I need you, please help me. But as I thought about that, I thought to myself, why is it that the Galatians were willing, having heard the gospel of salvation by faith alone, why were they willing to, to add these laws in? And think about this, because they weren't simply being asked to add in a feast day. That would be easy, wouldn't it? I mean, who doesn't want to add an extra feast day to the calendar? That's that's a good thing to do. No, they were being asked to add circumcision. Right? This is a, not an insignificant step to be taking. Now, why were they tempted by that? Why are we tempted? By legalism, by law, why is this ditch even a temptation? I mean, salvation by faith alone sounds like such a great deal. Well, perhaps it's pride—that is, we like to be able to say, "Well, I did this," or, and especially when it comes to other people, "Well, you know, you're a, you're a not a you're not a good person, but I am. I did this." But I think it's also, and perhaps largely, that by, keep, by adding rules, we actually keep God at bay, we keep God at arm's length. You see, when we add rules, and they're inevitably rules that we can keep, we reduce the list, we make it simple, oh yes, I go to church, I'm part of a ministry, I'm a nice person, I give, uh, you know, they're rules that we can kind of keep, at least reasonably well. As soon as we have added that, our interest is directed to those things and less so to the God who offers forgiveness and salvation. It's precisely what the Pharisees did in their day. Oh, they had 630 rules or something like that, it was a lot of them, but actually the whole time they were keeping God at bay, they weren't actually interested in God, they were interested in, can I get my salvation? And the problem if you like, of salvation by faith alone, is that we have to surrender ourselves to Christ. We have to say, I can't do it, I give myself to you, I entrust myself to your care. And that is a very vulnerable position to be in, isn't it? And we humans don't like that. We like to be in charge, we like to be in control, the law allows allows that for us. But God wants us to surrender ourselves to Him. He wants a relationship with us. The law is supposed to drive us to Him and see our need of Jesus, but it can become a ditch to separate us from God. And so we need to beware this ditch of legalism, of trying to add things, whether it's church, or giving, or whatever it is, they can be good things, things that are well worth doing, but once they've become a something we must do, In order to be saved, we've fallen into the ditch. Of course, as soon as you uh, avoid that ditch, you sort of steer your horse over this way, then the other ditch kind of looms large and you are tempted, no doubt... Uh, And I think it was even Luther who said that if you understood the Gospel, you you must ask the question, well then maybe maybe it doesn't matter. (laughs) If you've really understood salvation by faith alone, you you inevitably are going to ask the question, well maybe then it doesn't matter what I do, maybe I can do whatever I want. Now of course you haven't properly understood it, but you've kind of understood it there at that point, haven't you? That you've understood that, no, there isn't anything I can do to add to my salvation. The problem is that a casual, even a casual reading of the New Testament shows that it does matter what you do. And even if you were to just flip forward in Galatians, if you were there, and you flip forward to chapter 5, uh, what you see in chapter 5 in verse 19 is a whole list of things that we shouldn't do, sexual immorality, idolatry, witchcraft, and so on. And then he ends that little section with, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? So, if you do those things you don't go to heaven. Perhaps even more startling is when you go to James, and I note that you're going to be doing James uh, in in your next series, but if you go to James chapter 2, James talks about faith, and he says this, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. (laughs) <laughs> That's a bit of a bummer for my sermon thus far, isn't it? So what is James? Why, why and, and, and not again, not surprisingly perhaps, Luther had an enormous problem with the book of James. He really struggled to get his mind around it. Why is it that James can say that? Why is it that Paul can say that in the very same letter that he has said already, that you're justified by faith alone? Why is that? Well, part of the reason uh, is uh, in the very last verse that we read in chapter 3, that is, uh, he says, uh, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might also come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit... And then again in chapter 5, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with. So what he is saying there is that when you have faith in Jesus, you receive the Spirit and that Spirit changes you. It's inevitable, that's what he does, that's his work. He changes you, brings forth the fruit of the Spirit in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, etc. And so you can kind of Using that logic, you can go in reverse. If I don't have the fruit of the Spirit, if I'm not being changed, that must mean I don't have the Spirit, therefore I must have, not have faith. But that immediately then raises the question, and it's a question that James deals with, there seems to be kind of two different types of faith. There seems to be a live faith, faith that brings change, and dead faith, faith that doesn't bring change... So what is, like, how do we tell? How do we tell? And for that, we turn to Hebrews chapter 11, because Hebrews chapter 11 is all about describing and explaining faith. And the writer starts the chapter, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Uh, He gives an example in verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. You don't see that, you don't know that uh, from an experiential point of view, you know that by faith. We're certain of that by faith, we're sure of that even though we have not seen it. But then he goes on, then he goes on uh, to explain faith, not so much now by definition but by example and I think this is very, very important. When the Bible wants to explain faith to us, it gives us a definition. Yes, but then it gives us a whole lot of examples of faith in action, and that immediately tells you something about faith. And I want to just pick out two examples: the two that we read about, Noah and Abraham. And if you just think back to the story of Noah, maybe you're familiar with it. Uh, Here is a man who God comes to, who speaks. God speaks to him, and he says. Build an enormous boat, a boat that will take you years to build. Uh, I'm going to flood the earth and wipe out all humanity except for you and your family who will be on the boat. Oh, and by the way, just before I do that, I'm going to send lots of animals, they're going to hop on the boat with you. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you just think, yeah, of course, but think about that. (laughs) Build a boat. Spend your life building a boat, please. And then the animals are going to come and the boat will save you from the devastation that I'll bring on the earth. I mean, that, that takes faith, doesn't it? I mean, Noah believed God. How do we know Noah believed God? He built the boat. He built the boat. And it's the same with Abraham. God comes to Abraham. He's living happily with his family uh, in Ur. I can see why you would want to move away from that uh, it's a silly name like that. But um, he's living there with his family, happily situated, well, doing well. And God says, No, I want you to move all the way to this place called Canaan. I know you've never been there. I know you don't know anyone there. I want you to go there. Uh, I'm going to give you that land. There's lots of people there. They're wicked people. But eventually, I will give the land to you and your descendants. Uh, Abraham had no children. In fact, after he had gone to the land, so he believed God, he went to the land, after he'd been in the land for a good number of years, he still had no children. And we read here that, uh, by faith, even though Abraham, even though, is 11, sorry, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, past age is really putting it quite mildly uh, when you read the account... And yet, Abraham and Sarah keep trying to have children and they had a child. You see, what is faith? Faith is belief that leads to action. It's pretty simple, actually. Faith is belief. Belief in something that we cannot see that we hope for that leads to action. Now, I don't think that's actually all that groundbreaking because if you think about it, we, we already do this. Uh, you believe in gravity, you cannot see gravity, you have seen the effects of gravity but you cannot see gravity uh, and so because you believe in gravity, you don't jump off cliffs. I believe... From experience that Carl, my brother, is not a huggy person. You know this. But I also believe in taunting my brother. So every night that he's at our house we always get all of our children to hug him good night. I think it's good for him. I believe that it's good for him. It drives me to action, you see. You see, we're, we're used to, and you could, we could think of many, many examples, when we, when we believe something to be true, it affects the way we live. If it, if it doesn't, that, that's kind of silly. And so it's kind of, it's worth just stepping back and saying to ourselves, well, what is it that we believe as Christians? Well, we believe that God created the universe. We believe he made it good. We believe that even though that is true, humanity rebelled against him and said, no, we want to be in control. We actually doubt your goodness. We doubt that you have our best interests at heart. We need to take control so that we can ensure our own happiness. That is, of course, sin. Sin. And that led to all sorts of misery and uh, trouble coming on the earth. But God did not reject humanity. God had a plan from the very beginning to send His Son, which He did, who came into the earth to be mocked and beaten and, as we heard, take our sin upon us. He was crucified. He suffered hell for His people so they could be saved. And then he rose again to life, proving that he was innocent. And he rose to heaven, and now he waits there to come again, to start a new world, a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, where all his people will live in peace and prosperity and happiness and joy with him forever. That's just a broad kind of brushstroke view of what we believe. But, but you see, if we believe that, if, those, if we believe those things to be true... They must change how we live. For, for a start, we have a good God. We, we, this, this, this lie that Satan has been telling us from the beginning, that, that we cannot trust God for our happiness, that we cannot trust God once he has our best interests in heart, has, has been blown out of the water, hasn't it? Because he sent his son to die in our place. He loved us so much that he took hell for us. How can we doubt His goodness? How can He doubt His good intention for us? And so, so when He says, live this way, we want to say, yes, oh, that's fantastic. We want to be devouring His Word, wanting to know how He wants us to live because we have seen how good He is. We look forward to a better heavens. It says here, Uh, All these people were still living by faith and they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them from a distance and welcomed them. They were looking forward to a, a new country. That's us. That changes the way we live here on earth, doesn't it? It has to. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying once you believe this, suddenly everything changes because I think to grow in faith is to a great degree to understand how these truths change us. And the light of the Gospel shines into different areas and we we see areas where we, we aren't, in a sense, living out our beliefs. We aren't believing God's goodness in that area and we need to change and repent and turn back to Him. And with the Spirit's power, we can. But here's the question. Do you actually believe? It's possible that you have given assent to the ideas oh yes jesus lived he died yes i believe that but that belief that understanding you haven't taken hold of that you haven't thrown yourself on jesus you see in james that chapter 2 he says even the demons believe there is one god and they shudder notice their belief results in an action shuddering. What it does not do, and perhaps because it can't, we're not really told, it does not cause them to entrust themselves to God. You see, do you believe that Jesus is good, that His ways are best, that He is your only hope of salvation, that He has guaranteed a future eternity for you? you? Do you believe that? This is why James can say, by the way, that you're not saved by faith alone, but but what you do, what he is saying is, real faith always is accompanied by action. Real faith is always accompanied by action and so that's why he can say what he he says and, and it's in perfect agreement with the rest of the Bible. But now, here's the problem, we were fearful of the ditch of lawlessness, and we steer away from that. And we say, oh, well, because faith brings change. But now we go, oh, quickly, I better change. I've got to, I've got to, be, I've got to do better. I've got to, maybe my faith is inadequate. I better work harder. I better do more. And we, we steer over back toward the, the ditch of legalism. And so I want to help you uh, with an illustration that helped me enormously. And it's not mine. It's from Don Carson. And he says this, he... He envisages uh, two Jews in the land of Egypt uh, at the end of nine plagues, awaiting the tenth plague, uh, the angel of death passing over e- Egypt. Uh, he names them Smith and Jones. He says that's two very good Jewish names. And, uh, and Jones says to Smith... Uh, Hey, how are you going? You know, have you put the Have you put the blood on on the doorposts and on the on the lintel of your house? And Smith says, Yeah, I have. Man, I am pumped. This is awesome. I, we killed the lamb uh, and we uh, made the unleavened bread, and we're, tonight we're going to feast. We're going to eat the lamb, and we're packed. We're ready to go uh, tonight. God is going to rescue us from Egypt. This is awesome. I cannot wait. I mean, it's been a disturbing few months or years, but this is, we're we're out of here tonight, I'm excited. And and then Smith says to Jones, what about you, did you put the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel? And Jones says, wow, yeah, you know, look, yeah, I've, I've put it there, but frankly, I'm terrified. I'm frightened. I mean, you saw the blood, you saw all those... Nats, you saw the, those frogs were awful. You, you saw all that. The darkness, it was scary stuff. And now the angel of death is passing over our house? I mean, it's all right for you, Smith. You've got three sons. I've only got one. I can't, you know, I can't lose that. I put the blood there. I just hope we get through the night. And Carson asked this question. Which man loses his son that night? And the answer, of course, is neither. Neither loses his son that night. Because they both put the blood on the doorpost, just as God had said for them to do. They both took shelter under the blood of the Lamb, you see. And it's not the the quality of their faith, or the intensity of their faith, or their joy, or their... even sureness... No, they're saved by doing what God said, by taking shelter under the blood of the Lamb. And friends, it's the same for you and me. It is not the, sh- the quality of your faith. It is not how joyful you are even, though we, we have plenty of reason to be joy. It is not joyful. It is it, not how sure you are, how intense you are. It is whether or not you have taken shelter under the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ and you've said, you are my only hope. Without you, I can do nothing. And so the writer of Hebrews finishes this section in chapter 12, it's all part of the same section, he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. See, what is the answer to avoiding the ditch of legalism and the ditch of lawlessness? It is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And it's not, how good are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? It's, have you fixed your eyes on Jesus? And if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you'll avoid the ditch of lawlessness because you will see Him and you will love Him and you'll be enthralled by Him and you'll want to live for Him. It it, it just, it will happen. And you'll have to work at it, but it will happen. And if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you'll avoid the ditch of legalism because one, you'll see how good he is and you'll be convicted of your sin but two, at the very same moment you see that you'll be given the peace and joy of understanding that he's taken it all away. Friends, to walk by faith alone means to walk with your eyes fixed on our Saviour Jesus. The author of our faith the perfecter of our faith the one who keeps giving us faith and working on it but who died for us who took our sins and who guarantees us eternity with him let's pray our lord jesus christ we we thank you we thank you that our salvation our relationship with you our hope for the future does not depend on us for if it did we would be lost But it depends on you and all that you have already done and all you have said you will do. And Father, we pray that you would help us to believe in Jesus, to help us fix our eyes on Him and His goodness and His grace and His love and His power, and His faithfulness to His promises. And so help us to walk this road. Lord, let us never think that we can add to our salvation. Let us never think that it doesn't matter what us, what we do, but help us to be enthralled with Jesus, and so live for Him. And Lord, if there are some here perhaps who have assented they've oh yeah that sounds like a good idea to Jesus in the past but the belief has not worked its way and it has not changed them it's not affecting them we pray that you would bring them to a saving faith in Christ that their world would be rocked with the wonderful truth of the gospel and Father if there's some here who have fallen in either ditch help them fix their eyes on Jesus and so walk this walk of faith we pray all this in his name Amen